Amen. Let's, uh, let's stay standing together as uh, we read God's Word from Psalm chapter 121. Psalm 121 this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And uh, we really encourage you to follow along there um, on page 516. Page 516. Welcome to our, uh, welcome children, right? Uh, welcome kids into our service today. Uh, my, my goal is to, is to fly through this text this morning so that um, we can, uh, yeah. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. Amen. So uh, Isaiah chapter 40 says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Lord, we thank you for your, um, your uh, undying, unfading, um, timeless word, um, the, the scriptures that teach us about who you are, uh, that teach us about your son Jesus and what he has accomplished for us through his death and his resurrection um, and the salvation that we have through faith in him. And uh, Lord, we know that it is through your word uh, that, we, that we know um, about Christ and his work. Um, it is through your word that we know ourselves. And uh, Lord, we, we just pray that this morning we would be um, attentive and receptive to, to what your word has to say. Uh, we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's uh, have a seat. If you haven't grabbed uh, one, of these, one of these handy little copies of uh, our Psalms journals, raise your hand. Uh, we've, got, we've got some. We're, we're just going to hand them out. There, there's no charge for these. Uh, I'll, I'll give you mine, Brent, but I'm not going to give you mine. Um, these are, if, 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 you, uh, if, you just, if you just joined us, um, these have each of the Psalms of Ascent in them um, with, a, with a journaling page next to it for you to take notes, uh, for you to use in personal devotion, uh, whatever that may be. Um, and, and after each psalm is actually a devotional written by one of our Grace Harbor members, um, or uh, we have filled some in with some devotionals from some of the great theologians uh, in, in our history. So um, you, may, you may use that as a resource. And uh, we're, again, we're very grateful for uh, the, the time and the work Thomas put into designing these for us. Um, and then our brother Jim Garnett... Uh, who uh, is, I think, is at the front doors. He was greeting us today, um, the, the work that he put into to getting these out for us. So uh, use these. Uh, don't just let them sit on your shelf. Could, that could happen. But uh, if not, uh, use them for, for the benefit of studying the Word together. Uh, okay, here we are in Psalm chapter 121, and uh, we are in week two of our summer series, uh, the, the Psalms of Ascent. And what the Psalms of Ascent are, as we talked about last week, is they are 15 Psalms nestled into uh, the whole book of Psalms uh, that, that, likely, um, that, that, that likely record the journey of the people of God 
uh, from wherever they may be up to Jerusalem, up to the place, the temple where God dwells. Um, and so they are on this journey. They are ascending uh, because Jerusalem was, was uh, situated at the highest point. And so they were ascending into Jerusalem um, in order to come into the presence of God, to worship him, to experience the fullness of his grace and the covenant that he had made with them. And so Psalm 121 seems to have the psalmist in this valley. Uh, like we talked about last week, any time that we talk about ascending, um, what, what naturally comes, what necessarily comes from ascending is the fact that you are coming from a lower place to a higher place. Um, and so these, these journeymen here, these, those who are traveling these, uh, this ascent are traveling from a low place to a high place. Um, and so the psalmist teaches us something about this God who he longs to see and who he longs to be in the presence of. And so remember last week, um, we, we kind of we wrote this in the beginning of this psalm journal, um, three lens that will be helpful um, in, reading this, in, in reading the psalms. Uh, three lens. Now, they are not, they are not uh, you know, oh, wow, man, I just opened this up and saw Greg Boonstra's name. Thanks, Greg, for writing, for writing a devotional. Um, what, what, uh, the, the, the lens that we encouraged you to read these psalms is through a Christ-centered lens. Um, keep in mind the forward-looking faith of those who are singing these psalms, but also keep in mind we don't only read them through a Christ-centered lens, we read them through a covenantal lens or a corporate lens, namely that the psalms that are being written are being written by a people that God had covenanted himself with, and it wasn't individual isolated people, it was a group of people, it was a corporate people, it was a covenantal people. And so we read these psalms through a covenantal lens, but we also read them through the lens of God's character, that these psalms are constantly um, referring to and being written about the character of this God who is a covenant-keeping, unfailing, faithful God. So we read it through a Christ-centered lens, we read through a covenantal lens, we read through a lens of God's character. And so keep those lens in mind as we, as we read these. And so I want us to look at three things. Some of the, here's the thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play my cards. Some of these things are going to sound very familiar. We preached this same psalm during Advent, um, just a few months ago. And so I was like, well, no, you know, I can't do that because they've already heard this. And then I'm, you know what, y'all don't remember what I say anyways. And so um, I, don't remember what I, I don't remember what I say. So um, some of this is going to be somewhat familiar uh, because about six months ago, but let me just tell you, uh, a, a very, I would just say a very simple, basic, fundamental truth to our faith is that we need to hear the same things over and over again, right? Especially when it pertains to the gospel, especially when it pertains to who God is. And so if you think that the gospel is something that you took care of back when you were 13 at summer camp, um, well, we've, we've got something different for you because what we're going to say is that we need the gospel continually. We need reminding of the gospel continually. Paul would write over and over again, I'm reminding you of the gospel uh, that, that you heard, that saved you. I'm reminding you of this gospel. And so the Bible is not what gives us this idea that the gospel is something we move on from. Uh, we, we constantly remember. And so all that to say, some of this will be familiar, um, and you might hear something, you're like, I've heard that before. Um, well, I'll just take credit for that. Uh, it was me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I probably borrowed it from someone else, okay? Um, but here's the thing. Here's three things that we want to see in this psalm. Uh, we want to see the source of our hope. We want to see the nature of our hope. And we want to see the certainty of our hope, okay? So in verses 1 and 2, Psalm 121 says, I lift 
my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so we see first in this psalm the source of our hope. The psalmist writes, he asks this question, where does my help come from? And then he answers his own question, my help comes from the Lord. And so like we saw last week in 120, where this journey begins, we see the psalmist in distress. We see a distressed psalmist. But notice in that psalm, what? That the Lord answers. The Lord answers. Remember verse, verse 1 of chapter 120, 120, look there. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. And so remember last week that the answering that this Bible speaks of, that the scripture speaks of, there is a whole theology to be understood about God being a God who hears. Remember what we said last week, that fundamental to our faith is that we have a God who hears and a God who responds. Like that's like a baseline fundamental reality of our faith that really in many ways distinguishes the Christian faith from other faiths. That, that there is a God, a holy God, that he hears us, and not only does he hear us, but the Bible will continually talk over and over again about that he is a God who responds to us. And so you want to talk about Christianity 101, one of those very basic ground level things that we must understand as a people of faith is that our God hears and responds. Over and over again in the scriptures, this is, this is referred to. I believe that it is... It is uh, and I really wish I could remember who, who this was. I think it was Hannah in uh, maybe 1 Samuel um, who, who, has, who has a child, someone who's much smarter than me. And, and she cries out to the Lord and she, she, she calls upon him as the God who hears. You are, the, you are the God who sees. And so fundamental to our faith is that we have... And, and this does not merely refer to what we see in 121 verse, verses 1 and 2 is it does not merely refer to a nod from God. This is not just merely a nod from God to acknowledge that God has heard, but rather an action taken by God uh, to what he has heard, that he intervenes in real ways. That we have a God who intervenes in real ways. And we saw in Exodus chapter 2 where the people of God cried out for help. And this cry for rescue, it says in Exodus 2, 23 and 20, 24 and 25, it says that their cry for God, came, cry to God came up to God. And what does God do in that moment? Well, the text says that God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of God, the people of Israel, and God knew. Man, look at that, like, look at that four-part response from God. Can we just, Exodus 2, 23 through 25, there's a, there's a four-part personal response from God that God hear, heard, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. Like, this isn't a God who is seeing, you know, like, applications come through the system, and he's maybe looking for, like, one or two check boxes to see if they're filled out, and they're passing them by, and he decides how, if he's going to respond. No, this is a four-part response from God where he's very active, and he is very attentive, that he hears us, he remembers, that he sees, and that he knows. And so remember that the book of Exodus is essentially God's response to the cry for help. Isn't that amazing? In the very first two chapters of Exodus, it says the people of God are crying out, and in the rest of the book of Exodus, really the rest of the Bible, is a God responding to his people. And so what we have going into Psalm 121 is that the truth that God is eager to act, 
and he is eager to respond. And Psalm 121 is the writer's acknowledgement or declaration of the place from which our help comes, but not first without a question. From where does my help come? This is a, a really wonderful question. Have any of you ever asked this question? Where does my help come from? Where, where, where is my source of hope? Where is my source of need? This is a, this is a, a, a really, we've, I've talked to our brother David recently about um, our, our mutual love and affection for uh, Pastor uh, Alistair Begg. And so it's really hard to, to read this psalm without reading it in Alistair Begg's Irish voice, um, with, you know, where he, where he says, uh, let's see, specifically, uh, he will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved. Uh, it's really hard to read this. Um, but one of the things that Alistair Begg does say is that this is a, where does my help come from? That this is a very good, wonderful, and relevant question. But further, in our, what the Bible is going to continually show us, further in our desperate need for help, we are often tempted to look for help in the wrong places. And this psalmist is making sure that his eyes are set, that his feet are set, that he's looking to the, what he says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist shows us in his declaration here, that oftentimes we look for help, we look for fulfillment, we look for security in the wrong places. And the psalmist is making sure that our eyes are set on the, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist quickly follows up that his look towards the hills with this declaration that his help not comes, on, comes not from the hills, but from the maker of the hills, the Lord who, who made heaven and earth, the, the creation is not the goal, the creator is. And so oftentimes, some of the historical commentary on these psalms will, will tell us that oftentimes on these ascents into Jerusalem, that, that, um, that, that in a pagan culture, um, many, many uh, worshipers of false idols would have erected false gods up on the top of the mountains. They would have, you would have walked through a place and you would have seen um, idols along the tops of the crest of these mountains. And the psalmist here is looking beyond those hills and saying, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of these hills. And so the second thing, the first thing that we see is the source of our hope. So church family, the source of our hope is a faithful, covenantal, promise-keeping, faithful God. And the second thing that we see is the nature of our hope. Remember, one of the ways that we read the Psalms, one of the lens through which we read the Psalms is through the character of God. And in, in verses 3 through 6, this psalmist talks about the character of God. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? We see in these three verses, let's read 3 through 6, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And so in these, these verses right here, the, the psalmist is not only, has not only stated where the source of our hope is, but he says, what kind of God is this God who keeps us? What is the nature and the character? What, what is it that you can rely upon in this God? Well, first of all, he's the maker of heaven and earth. But what are the things that, 
distinguish this God? Well, these four verses here tell us something vital about the kind of continual daily care that the source of our hope gives. And here's, here's two, at least two things that this idea of our God not sleeping nor slumbering means. Listen to this. We need him continually. The first thing that we see by a God who neither sleeps nor slumbers is that we depend on God around the clock. There is never a time of your life where your life, where your salvation is not wholly dependent upon a God who keeps his covenant. It's not like when you sleep, he sleeps. No, the truth is that when you sleep, he doesn't. When, when you're awake, he is much more awake. When, when you're awake, he is very active. And when you rest and when you sleep, God does not neither sleep nor slumber. Another thing that we see in verses 3 and 4 is that God is never out of reach. God is never out of reach. Verse, the, verse 3 focuses in on you. Look at, look at verse 3. One of the things we talked about last week is how like, the pronouns change throughout, throughout the Psalms in, in really uh, in, intentional ways. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And then look at verse 4. It expands beyond just you. It says, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So God not only keeps me, you, you have the assurance of a covenant-keeping God who will not let you down, like the, the you that is sitting in the chair that you're in. But what the psalmist says is that not only does he keep me, he keeps all who belong to him. He keeps all of those who belong to him. He is a capable God. While we struggle to keep things up in the air, God does not struggle to care for each of us Personally, he is a covenant-keeping God. So the text tells us also that he is our shade on our right hand and protection from the sun and moon. We see that in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. So we're not going to get into all of this right now, um, but, but there ought to be an awareness in us of the significance of the right hand in times of battle. You're like, why the right hand? Well, why the, why the right hand? Well, Romans 8 tells us that, that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's, there's something really profound and powerful historically, culturally, biblically about the right hand. There's a reason why the psalmist writes about the right hand. This is not him throwing shade at you lefties, by the way. Um, and so maybe you're a lefty and you feel like really ostracized from the world. Um, Nadine, he's not, he's not throwing shade at you. Um, because you're a lefty. I don't know who else is left. My kids, I've got three lefties in my house. Emma, I don't know. We don't, how about we just further ostracize the uh, lefties and just everybody raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we're, we're not going to get into all that now, but there's an awareness of the significance of the right hand in times of battle that these original hearers would have been familiar with, that, that God is a shade on our right hand. This speaks to how God keeps us by sustaining us in our battles and in trials of life. But there's also significance in how we ought to understand the sun and the moon. You see the reference to the sun and the moon. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. At some level, all of us here in this room know that there are great dangers and despairs associated with the, with the sun and with the darkness. And so as we're about to find out at the park, right, uh, the, there's, there's, there is great, uh, there is great uh, suffering um, and, and great misery uh, that the sun can bring, right? Uh, we're, about to, we're about to get real hot for the love of Jesus. Um, 
And, and so there is a level of thirst and exhaustion the sun brings. And then, not to, not to speak too, too glibly, but we also know the level of despair that often comes with the nighttime, right? With, with the darkness. We know that with physical darkness, with the, the, with the absence of the sunlight and, and, the, and the darkness, the, the physical darkness, that oftentimes a great spiritual darkness, a great despair comes. I remember working with students uh, before we were here in Oklahoma City, and, and I'll just tell you, like, like one, of the on, one, of the, one of the only times that students took great initiative to reach out because of things that they were in deep despair about was at nighttime, right? Um, I, would, I would get text messages from, from kids at 11 and 12 at night with, with, with uh, messages from kids who were in, in very deep despair and darkness. And I don't, I don't know about you, but in my life, darkness seems to bring about a particular kind of despair when particular seasons of life are, are present. There's, I would say, my own susceptibility, my, my own susceptibility to personal sin comes in the darkness, right? Uh, my own susceptibility to anxiety and fear comes when? In the middle of the night, in the dark night of the soul. And so, what the psalmist is telling us, church family, listen to this. Like, this is a very real thing. What the, what the, what the psalmist is, is telling us is that the Lord will keep you from all evil, that the Lord is your keeper, that he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so while we sleep, God is active and he is faithful and he is not generally active he is very specifically active and aware in your life, in your fears and in your anxieties. So whether you are in great physical despair or emotional despair, sweet saints, the, the, the psalmist tells us that the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. And know first and foremost that our hope, what we see here and what we see throughout the rest of the well, this is why we read through a Christ-centered, covenantal character of God lens that first and foremost, our hope is a person. It's not an idea. Your hope is not just an idea. It's not like, yeah, hope, and, and any politician can fulfill that for me, and any, you know, any vice can fill that, fulfill that for me. No, the Bible will tell us that our hope and our peace is Christ, that, our, that he himself, Ephesians will tell us, he himself is our peace. And so our hope is a person. In fact, that leads to, to the final thing that we see in verses 7 and 8. Let's read that. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep, you, keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so the third thing that we see, we see the source of our hope. We see the nature of our hope. And this final move that we see in this psalm is the certainty of our hope. We have a, a certain hope as verses 7 and 8 will say. And so at some level, you might be asking yourself that we have a, a source who is God and he never, neither sleeps nor slumbers and we have a certain hope. At some level, you may be asking, asking yourself how this all jives with my reality, right? Um, how this jives with, with my experience. How a, a God who is present, if there is a God who is present and a God who is unfailing, then why do I feel abandoned? Why do I feel unseen? Why do I feel unheard? Why do I 
Why, why am I suffering the things that I'm suffering? What, what about the real despair and the real trials that I'm working through? Well, these are real questions, right? These are, these are real questions that I think some light can be shed on, but, but, but for, for sake of our time this morning, we want to we center in on what the, what the Scriptures proclaim. And what the Scriptures proclaim is for us to place our hope in God, for us to, to hope in Him that we won't count our own life, that we won't count our own safety, that we won't count our own comfort as that which is most valuable and as that which is most worth preserving, but that we would place our hope in God because the Lord, here's what the scriptures say, and this is what doesn't make sense to us, the Lord will keep you from all evil. I, I don't know about you, I have a hard time with that. Is, it okay to, is that okay for me to admit? The Lord will keep me from, from all evil, that he will keep my life. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, echoed Christ, and, and, and Bonhoeffer essentially said that the nature of this life is a call to come and die. That when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die, to give up earthly comforts to follow him. Know to this, church, that the scriptures are in no way dishonest about the reality and the inevitability of suffering. Can, I just, can, we, can we acknowledge that this morning? That, that nowhere in the scriptures, no matter what prosperity church you've been to, and no matter what church has told you that if you just have more faith, and if you just have more of this, then God will just provide all of this material wealth and riches, no matter what kind of garbage you've heard on the radio, or the TV, or the congregation that you have sat in, that, the, that it's the scriptures that are the most honest and real about the reality and the inevitability of suffering. The scriptures tell us that. The scriptures will, will point to that. If, if, if you think that, that the scriptures are not, then, then read them. And, and, and the scriptures in no way will discount all of the deep tragedies and the trials that you may be facing. But what I do know is that though the gospel may not protect us from suffering, and what I've seen so many in, in, of folks in here even, the testimony, that, that even though the gospel may not protect us from suffering, what the gospel can protect us and will protect us from is despair, is deep despair. Despair is in, in, a, in a hopelessness that there is not a God that is not aware of where we are. What the gospel will tell us, namely through the, the victory of Christ over sin and death, is that we have a God who is very active and is very aware and is very involved, and the gospel will protect you, church, from a deep despair if we will place our hope in God. There is something that we can cling to as distant and as small as it may feel. Verse 7 in the King James Version says that he will keep, uh, doesn't say he will keep your life. What, what verse 7 says in the KJV says, he shall preserve thy soul. He shall preserve thy soul. And so I would say life and soul, no matter who's translating it, are pretty interchangeable. We think life, we think about the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we have on this earth. What the, what the psalmist is writing about is he will keep your, your soul. The, the, the eternal aspect of who you are, that God will keep your soul. Charles Spurgeon says that soul keeping is the soul of keeping. Soul keeping is the soul of keeping. If God, if God uh, can keep the soul, then all will be kept. Isn't that amazing? That we believe that we are eternal beings. 
We believe as a church that we are eternal beings, that we don't just cease to exist. That's a, that's a hopeless thought. That's a, a hopeless belief, but we believe that we are eternal people. And, and what Spurgeon says, that if the soul be kept, all is kept. The certainty of our hope lies most importantly and most powerfully in the fact that God is the keeper of our soul. And so when, when the psalmist writes, he will keep you from all evil, he is saying, he is saying church, there's, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And we're going we're gonna to see that here in just a second. In fact, that's why we read through a Christ-centered lens, right? That's why we read the Psalms through a Christ-centered lens, because what is certain for us is, is what the psalmist comprehended in part, we know in full, that in order to be faithful to who he is and who God always claimed to be, what? God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Romans 8, one of the beautiful things about the Bible is the Bible serves as a great commentary on the Bible. Have you ever heard of that? So we have all these outside commentaries that are really good resources, and we highly recommend digging into some of those. But the Bible ultimately serves as the best commentary for itself, uh, because nowhere in the Bible is there contradiction. You're like, well, what? yeah, I'd say no, you, you, you're not thinking, and, uh, and, and you, haven't, you haven't dug deep enough. There is no contradiction in the scriptures. In fact, Romans 8 serves as a wonderful commentary for Psalm 121 and is the intricate detail of how we ought to understand the source, the nature, and the certainty of our hope. So turn with me to Romans 8, and I want to just close us in in this. Romans 8. One of the reasons why we read through a Christ-centered lens is because if we, you know, here's, here's the thing. The Psalms... One of, one of the reasons why we read through a Christ-centered lens is because we believe that the covenant people of God, um, that those who by faith believed, believed in the fullness of the promise that was to come. Did they know all the details? I don't know. But we, as the people of, covenant people of God today, we have a, we have a, a backward-looking faith. We look back on what God has accomplished to us through His Son. And so the forward-looking faith of Psalm 121 and the, and the back-looking faith of Romans 8 come together in this, in this beautiful intersection of the grace of Christ. And let's, let's read Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, as it is written for your sake? We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, or neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, Paul just listed, <laughs> Paul, just, Paul just made a list of literally everything that could take you out in, in this world. He, 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 
This is where the Bible's honest. Remember, it's honest about the reality of our pain and our suffering. Paul just listed everything, spiritually and naturally, spiritually and physically. He listed everything. Everything that he just listed covers all that which could completely wipe you off of this earth. And the point that he's making is that the Lord is your keeper, that the Lord will protect you from, keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. In fact, what we did back in December when we read this was we, we did a little bit of an exercise as we closed, kind of as a corporate reading together. In fact, I, I think I, yeah, I, I wish I would have prepared for this. I think we, we had it on the screen, but it's probably gone by now. But what we can, what we can do as we read Romans 8, 31 through 39, is after major sections of sentences, we can insert Psalm 121, that he shall preserve thy soul. And so I'm going to read a portion of Romans 8, 31, and now I want to hear you say, this is kind of confusing, back in December we had it on the screen, and so just you'll, you'll, you'll catch on. I want, I want you as a congregation to say, he shall preserve thy soul, the, the, as the KJV would say. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He shall preserve thy soul. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He shall preserve thy soul. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He shall preserve thy soul. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He shall preserve thy soul. For I am sure that neither death nor life, he shall preserve thy soul. Nor angels nor rulers, he shall preserve thy soul. Nor things present nor things to come, he shall preserve thy soul nor powers, he shall preserve thy soul. Nor height, nor depth, he shall preserve thy soul. Nor anything else in all creation, he shall preserve thy soul. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He shall preserve thy soul. God is faithful to his promise. That's why we read the Psalms again through a Christ-centered lens, because it is through Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, and only in Christ that God has eternally planned to keep his promise with us. As the, the covenant that God made with his people was a covenant that knew that the ultimate covenant keeper for man would be the man Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. Uh, we thank you that you are the keeper of our soul. Uh, we thank you that um, if the, the, the soul of all keeping is soul keeping, then you have proven yourself time and time again to be a faithful, covenant-keeping God. 
We thank you that we have great hope and great confidence, not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us through his death and his resurrection. And thank you that our our hope does not rely on on our, um, our inconsistency or on our feeble attempts to be faithful to you, but on the sure and steady faithfulness of who Christ is and his obedience to you. We praise him. We praise you for all of the blessings that you have given to us. We praise things in Christ's name. Amen.